Support comes from Austin Water, helping residents reduce water use while protecting Austin's precious resource during the drought conditions with MyATX Water, providing near real-time water use data, tips, and leak alerts. More at austinwater.org. From KUT and KUTX Studios. That is just such a, like somebody almost like taking a warm, fuzzy blanket and covering your shoulders and and saying, here, let me wrap you up in this warm blanket. You're going to be all right, you know. I'm Elizabeth McQueen. And I'm Miles Bloxon. And you're listening to Pause Play, a podcast about live music, why it matters, and what comes next. In our last episode, we talked about how the housing market helped build the Austin music scene and how it could be the very thing that destroys it. It was, to put it mildly, kind of a bummer of an episode. In the next couple of episodes, we're going to try and balance the scales by talking about solutions. What are people and organizations doing to help our music community navigate this housing crisis? So one of the musicians we talked to in that last episode was Robert Kraft. He told us about his experience with housing and the music scene through the years. And he explained why he eventually decided he needed to leave Austin in order to buy a house. And there's something he said that actually didn't make it into the last episode, but that stuck with us. Near the end of the episode, we asked him about things he hoped people would do to help protect and strengthen our music ecosystem. I think city governments need to go, you know what, we got... A lot of old musicians in town who are struggling. We want to keep them in town. We're going to set up a housing program for elderly artists. And it, there's, we're not going to make any money on it. <laughs> you know, we're not, it's not going to be a for-profit thing. It's just that's something that we're going to throw money at to, to try to fix a, a, a spiritual issue almost. Well, the Austin city government doesn't have a program to house older musicians, but they're is an organization in town that helps them with housing. It's called HOME. Our mission at HOME is to pay living expenses for older musicians in the Austin area who are impacted by age, by lack of uh, opportunity, uh, by illness, and lately by COVID and the shutdown, which was amazingly impactful to our group. And... um, We pay rent or mortgage or utilities um, in some cases and both in some cases. That's Marsha. I'm Marsha Ball, and I'm a musician here in Austin for many years. And I'm also the vice president of HOME, which is Housing Opportunities for Musicians and Entertainers. To understand where HOME came from, you kind of need to know a little of Marsha's story. Marsha's not lying when she says she's been in Austin for many years. She moved here in 1970, and she told us that back then... Not to be hyperbolic, but it was paradise. Uh, I'd never seen so many hippies in my life, and being one, it was like coming home. And what was your living situation like? We found a house on Lamar at Old Torf that later became Texas Hatters and then became a bead shop. And now it's a succulent garden. And uh, it was a three-bedroom, two-bath house. And we paid $110 a month for it. 
And so we all, we had roommates. And so we shared the house with friends. So basically, you know, we're paying $55 a month. Marsha, who plays piano and sings and writes songs, would go on to establish herself in the Austin music scene. She led Frida and the Fire Dogs, one of the seminal progressive country bands in town. And later she became a solo act under her own name. She's known for playing a joyous mix of blues, jazz, and R&B. As we go around the sun, holding on when the corners come, putting ourselves out on the line, never heed the warning sign. In the 80s, Marsha met Lavelle White, a singer and songwriter who was originally from Louisiana. But she spent a lot of her growing up years in Mississippi. But she was still a teenager when she moved to Houston. And that's when she was working with um, Don Roby and the people at Duke Records and Peacock Records and Bobby Bland. And she wrote songs that Bobby Bland recorded. And, uh, and then I think from there she went to Chicago and then ultimately in, came to Austin. And came down here probably attracted by the energy that, that Clifford Antone shared with musicians. You know, he would just say, come down here, we'll take care of you. She's talking about Antone's nightclub and its owner, Clifford Antone. And she worked at the club and she worked other places and she made albums while she was in her 60s. You know I always will Marsha got to know Lavelle during those early days in Austin. She watched her play, she played shows with her, and she even recorded one of her songs. I mean, they were in the scene together. Lavelle eventually moved back to Louisiana for a while, and then in 2012, she moved back to Austin. She really had no resources. And her manager had been Nancy Fly. And at this point, when she came back, Nancy put out the APB and said... I need help. We need to figure out how to help Lavelle. And so we had a meeting, and it was, I guess, around my kitchen table. And it was all women, all involved in the music business in some way. Nancy Copeland, um, Sarah Brown, who had worked with uh, Lavelle a lot as a co-writer and as a player. Ruthie Foster was a, a founding member. Denise Boudreaux. Nancy Fly was on the board. Carolyn Wonderland and Shelley King, they were all in on the, uh, at the beginning. We met and talked about what to do. And, of course, we did what musicians do. We threw a gig. And it was at Antone's. Susan Antone was a founding board member. And we performed all Lavelle White songs. In fact, the only person who didn't perform a Lavelle White song was Lavelle. The gig was a success, wonderful full house, and we recorded it. And the recording was quite the success. I got to tell you, once I got to the um, Ruthie Foster cut of, of Lead Me On, I just said, okay, we have a record. Now. 
You know how it is You understand What it is to be a stranger In an unfriendly land Here's my hand Here's my hand Won't you take it darling And I'll follow you So we did that. We produced a record and we sold that. And so that was our, our fundraiser. That was our start. The organization started out helping Jess Lavelle, but they soon realized there was a greater need. I mean, there are some unique issues facing older musicians. For one, as people get older, they start to have health issues that can prevent them from being able to play. And then there's the financial side of things. Marsha laid it out for us like this. Here's what people don't understand about being a professional musician. You're supporting your family and yourself no less than a coal miner or a school teacher. Um, but you don't really have an organized advocacy group. And there is a musician's union, but it's not like the coal miner's union, you know. That, But as a musician who supported themselves for uh, a lifetime, at the end of that, you might not have any savings. And the economics of being a band leader and a musician are so tenuous, and people live so much on the edge of um, making ends meet. I mean, I know musicians who tour, and really the only money the band leader takes home is what they make from selling their CDs. Everything else goes to expenses, and it's getting harder and harder to make that go because everything costs more, and clubs can't really pay more. So the bottom line is you end or wind down, too, as clubs close, younger bands come along, and you're still trying to play, but you have less opportunity, and... There's not a net under you. There's no pension. And in some cases, there's not even Social Security because you didn't have actually a, a payroll job. You never did payroll. So you're really flat on your feet. Done nothing. Flat done. So we, um, you know, from that first meeting and that first event, um, we, we looked around to see who else was in the situation that uh, needed our kind of help. And um, that was in 2012 was the first event. So we're about almost 10 years old now, and now we have 23 clients. Over the years, the organization has grown from a loose collective of women gathered around Marsha's kitchen table to an actual 501c3 nonprofit. Marcia said they find their clients through referrals from organizations like HAM and also through word of mouth. One example of this is Eddie Stout. He's the head of Dial Tone Records and runs the Eastside Kings Blues Festival. And he's connected home to some of the older blues players in town. Marcia also said that the organization gained more clients during the COVID crisis. One thing that happened in um, the beginning of the COVID uh, impact was that we were given money by a very generous donor to help people more immediately than our long-term or short-term grantees, that we call them. 
like, what if somebody needs some money right now to get through the month? And so we had a short uh, form application and we helped over a hundred people with $500 grants, like right now, handed them out. And then because we have some really great data nerds on our board, we went back and looked at those applications and sorted through. And that's how we got over just the last two years and two and a half years, the bulk of our additional uh, clients is by looking at those applications and seeing who was most in need of more than just that. Coming up after the break, you'll hear from Rosie Flores, an Austin musician who's received help from home. KUT's next AT Explained live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org. And we'll see you there. Welcome back to Pause Play. In this episode, we're talking about home, housing opportunities for musicians and entertainers. One of the people who started getting help from home during the pandemic is Rosie Flores. I am Rosie, Rosie Flores. Rosie is a musician and a songwriter who has lived in Austin on and off since the 80s. We spoke to her in her home, and when we walked in, it was just a breath of fresh air. Hi. Oh, ready for Christmas and everything. Rosie, this is Miles. Hi, Miles nice Rose. to meet you. Hello, come on in. Thank you for having us. She lives in an apartment on the top floor of a two-bedroom house. It's a lovely place with art and instruments everywhere. Her home is colorful, eclectic, artsy, and it feels like, well, it feels like home. She grew up in San Antonio, and that's where she discovered her love for music. I was thinking today, I heard uh, Oh Holy Night coming across on the speaker, and I, it brought back a memory where my mother took me over to my aunt's house, and she said, can you sing Oh Holy Night for your aunt? And I remember my voice feeling very easy and crystal clear, and I remember them my aunt getting tears in her eyes and really reacting to my singing this song. And it, it kind of blew me away. I was, I, I like learned something about myself. I learned that I had a gift. From that point on, Rosie was into music. We don't have a recording of her singing Oh Holy Night, but she did send us this recording. You can hear it on a bonus track on her Rockabilly Philly CD. I'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter and make believe it came from you. I'm gonna sit. Rosie started recording with her dad when she was about six years old. Then her family moved to San Diego when she was 11. It was there that she started playing guitar. When she got older, she moved to Encinitas and formed a band called Rosie and the Screamers. And eventually, she moved to L.A. Well, I headed on out west from Texas one day With my guitar and my dreams and something to say I found the heart of country music in California At the Palomino nightclub, 
down North Hollywood way. Tom Petty's bass player, Howie Epstein, was uh, producing me along with the guy that played uh, pedal steel for Emmy Lou, Steve Fischel. And they had a, a production team, and um, so they took me in the studio, and, and uh, lo and behold, I got a record deal offer on Christmas Day. I mean, it was like, what? They were really <laughs> intrigued that year in 1986. Later, she worked with Pete Anderson, Dwight Yoakam's producer and guitar player. He helped her get signed to Warner Brothers Records. I started getting played on the radio, and I thought, oh, my God, this is it. I'm happening. I'm, you know, I, I'm going to be, you know, a star. And, and I just had all, all the machinery around me. And, you know, but, but things didn't really turn out as great for me as it did for Dwight Yoakam, who was also <laughs> on the label and signed by the same person. Rosie may not have had Dwight Yoakam-level success, but she still has a good career. She's toured a ton nationally and in Europe. She has fans all over the world. And to be honest, I'm one of them. When I started playing music, Rosie was one of the artists I really looked up to. I mean, here was a woman making a living playing good music. That was always my ultimate goal. And Rosie told us... I feel like I've made it, you know, on, on a certain level. Um, it just I just haven't had a strong business uh, management team around me, a financial team who could help me and, and who would have maybe been able to help me with the money that I was making when I was earlier so that, you know, hey, I should have bought a house in Austin when it was affordable. You know, I mean, if I had made some good decisions um, financially, then maybe I wouldn't be in this the situation that I am in now because I've never bought a house. You know, it's just always seemed like too giant of a task. And I thought, oh, well, I'll wait till I bring the bigger money in. And, you, you know, that's silly. Don't don't do that, people. <laughs> don't, should do it now because <laughs> it's going to get even more expensive. <laughs> oh, God. Like we said before. Rosie has lived on and off in Austin. She's also lived in Nashville. She even lived in L.A. for a long time. She finally settled down in Austin about 16 years ago. Back in 2019, Rosie had to leave the place she was living because of mold. She was getting sick, she couldn't sing, and it was time to go. She ended up finding her current place in December of 2019. And my rent was like three times higher than it was across the street. But I just thought, well, I've looked at a lot of stuff here in town, and this is like pretty cheap for what it is. So I'm probably not going to find anything like this for this money. So um, I ended up, you know, going forward with it, was planning on working. Uh, then March came, and I had to cancel about $10,000 worth of work. That was around the time that Holmes stepped in. Rosie applied for one of those $500 grants that Marcia talked about earlier, and she got it. I was just blown away. I was like, it was almost like having a mom and a dad, you know. It's like, little Rosie, you need some grocery money, you need some help with the rent, here you go, we love you, here, you know, we're going to help you. Okay, thanks. You know, and so it was, it was uh, quite an amazing gift. And then... They so beautifully surprised me with a a gift and a, a grant that they would cover half of my rent, half of my rent, 
for, um, they were going to do it for like three months. And I thought, oh, that'll really help get me back on my feet and I could save up some money. And I'll tell you what, at almost at the end of the three months, I got a, uh, an email from Margie and she says, we're going to cover half your rent till the end of the year. Wow! Like what? That's exciting. <laughs> Tears, all mis- misty eyes. You know, like I just, I just, it made me feel so appreciated. It made me feel cared about, and it made me feel secure, uh, and and it helped me to worry less, and just kind of put a big smile on my face and on my attitude. So Rosie has received help from home for living expenses and rent, but she also got help with her physical space. This was after the freeze last winter, which killed so many plants. Home came to her house and planted plants, and they helped her build a small patio. So that was a mind blower and just so joyous to hear them say, hey, we're gonna come over and plant some stuff in your yard what you know and I I remember sitting on the couch where you're sitting and you know this team of it was a couple with their son and Marsha and um, Maggie and a couple other people and uh, I sat on the couch and I just I just got overwhelmed and I just got teared up with uh, um, just feeling emotional about uh, how how lucky I am, you know, and how fortunate I was. And that that is just such a, like somebody almost like taking a warm, fuzzy blanket and covering your shoulders and, and saying, here, let me wrap you up in this warm blanket. You're going to be all right, you know. And we all need that. I mean, especially now, but like... Yeah. You know, that is that is something we all need. We all need it, yeah. yeah. Well, wait till you get as old as me. <laughs> get it. <laughs> I was like, that's the only good thing about getting older. <laughs> Do you think if you had stayed in L.A. Mm. that you would have been able to access something like home? As far as I know, they do not have anything like that. I probably would have just tried to find a rich boyfriend or something. <laughs> There's plenty of them out there. I just, you know. Yeah, I I really don't know. I think that uh, uh, Los Angeles and I think New York and Nashville should look at Austin and they should copy our ham and our Sims and our home. I think, you know, other other big cities where musicians, there's a conglomerate of, you know, hardworking, struggling, up-and-coming or older musicians, in, as the case were. They should look at this and, and um, learn from it. This season, we've talked a lot about the Austin music ecosystem. And honestly, we've kind of been focusing on what it doesn't have— Like, it doesn't have a lot of music industry infrastructure. And the people in the ecosystem, on the whole, they don't make a lot of money. But as Rosie pointed out, there is something we do have. Something that a lot of music ecosystems don't. 
we do have a lot of organizations that provide support for our music scene. We have Sims that provides mental health care. We have the Health Alliance for Austin Musicians, or HAM, that helps musicians access affordable health care. Dawa has been providing support for BIPOC creatives. And we have HOME, taking care of our older musicians. And that's nothing to write off. If you're a musician in Austin, you have the chance to receive a lot of support. And that support that Rosie received from HOME has really helped put her mind at ease. If I didn't know, you know, that I was going to be able to make the rent, then I would, what I would normally do, and I have done quite a bit, all the way back to living in L.A. when I was struggling, what I do is I just start thinking about what I'm going to sell. You know, which guitars are worth some money so I don't have to sit here and not sleep at night. And do I really want that guitar? Oh, well, I don't really play that Charlie Christian guitar that much, you know. So, uh, you know, and I, and I think about that. I've thought about that a lot this year. Like, you know, should I start selling Gretches? So should I, um, you know, should I start trying to do more paintings? Can I figure out how to sell them? Um, but I, I don't want to get rid of my guitars, you know. And just to clarify, Rosie is a guitar player. These aren't just like fun things she has around the house. Guitars are essential to her making a living. Home is giving Rosie peace of mind, but it's also giving her something else. Home is what's keeping me here. If it wasn't for home, I may not be able to stay here, living here in Austin. And I really like being here. And I've thought... Where can I move if, you know, it gets to be too expensive to pay rent here? And I really haven't figured out where else I could live yet. Because, you know, Memphis is a high crime and Los Angeles is too expensive. And uh, I don't know. I really don't know where I would go. So they really are keeping me here. And it's amazing because I love it here. Marsha told us that people who want help from home can apply online, but even that can be a little tricky. They also can write to us through the website. I mean, if they get that far and if they have any problem with um, communicating uh, or, or being able to do anything online, our administrator will walk them through it or somebody will. And I guess if there's any weak link. It's how they do find out. I mean, how, how do you get that word out to, to people who are not computer savvy or even have access to it? But that's one of the ways that Eddie Stout has helped us um, and other people help us. I mean, what happens is somebody who knows about home and then knows of somebody who's a potential client, there, there's interaction that, uh, that we're very open to. But the organization is still small, and their resources are limited. Marsha told us that her biggest fear... ...is that we bite off more than we can chew. We are very um, conscious of our budget, and we keep, we're very aware of what we can do. And, you know, we don't want to make promises that we can't keep. 
But I will tell you that we just informed our clients that they are secure through 2022. We can take this to heart When we all come together We can make a new start So much bigger than us Right now, home is mostly run by the board members, but they do have help from one part-time administrative staff member. And it can be a lot. We just did our holiday show, our second virtual home cooking for the holidays show, and it, it pretty much eats up your life for a while. For a number of us, everybody's got a job. It's a, it's a lot of work, and everybody's doing it in addition to touring or doing their other job. The holiday show she's talking about is called Home Cooking for the Holidays. It's a live stream with a twist. There are musical videos, and there are videos of musicians cooking. Last year and this year both, we had uh, Kevin Russell from Shiny Ribs cooking, And last year I made gumbo, and this year I made mole in honor of having Los Lobos on the on the show. We are going to add three cloves of garlic, half a teaspoon of cinnamon, chocolate, and fire it up. And this year we had C.J. Chenier cooking from his house, and last year we had. Lisa Loeb cooking from her beautiful kitchen and and then performing a song while her while her nachos were in the oven. Turk Pipkin has been our MC both years and uh, last year he baked bread throughout the whole show while interjecting inter- introductions and and descriptions he's been kneading his bread. This year he cooked a beautiful pot of chili and then went out and juggled flaming torches. They even have a cookbook you can download as part of the event. You can see this year's Home Cooking for the Holidays and last year's event on Home's website, homeaustin.org. I've got just one more question, um, and that's what do you kind of foresee as the future for Home? Oh, well, we're going to keep Home going as long as we can. And, you know, some of us are older than our clients, So we're uh, hoping that we can recruit young board members, and we're making a real um, effort to do that. In fact, what are y'all doing (laughs) with your spare time? (laughs) Oh, we walked right into that. (laughs) We did, with a blindfold on, and I was just thinking to myself, I could see myself helping out in that place. Yes, I like that. We'll talk, Marsha. We'll talk, for sure. So, Miles, when we've been making this episode, I keep coming back to this children's book that Toni Morrison wrote with her son Slade. It's called Who's Got Game, The Ant or the Grasshopper? And it's a retelling of that familiar ant and the grasshopper tale, you know, the one where the ant keeps saving for the winter and keeps telling the grasshopper he needs to do the same thing, but the grasshopper doesn't listen. And then winter comes, and the ant has all this food, and the grasshopper doesn't, and the ant is like too bad. I told you so. No food for you. 
And when you hear this story as like a kid, you're supposed to think like, yeah, the ant's got the right idea. He's prepared, right? I mean, that's how I feel like a lot of people react when they hear about musicians who need help. They're like, well, you know, you made your choice. You spent your life slacking off and playing music. And at the end of it, you have nothing. So too bad. Well, in Tony and Slade's retelling, the grasshopper is an artist. And when the ant refuses to help him during the winter, the grasshopper's like, hey, it's not like I haven't been working. And his quote is, art is work. It just looks like play. And he's also like, look, didn't the things that I do bring you joy? Didn't they make your life, like, better? And I feel like I wish more people thought like that. Like, musicians, they bring you some of the best experiences of your life, whether it's through the songs that they sing or the songs that they write. I mean, and yeah, maybe they're not the best, like, financial people sometimes. Maybe they're not as good as, like, a lawyer or a banker, but you probably don't want to go see a show where your banker is playing a gig, right? So, (laughs) I mean... I just wish that people would appreciate how much musicians give and how much they sacrifice in order to have a life in entertainment. And I wish that they really got behind supporting them in their later years. Elizabeth, you are so right. It's like who passes the hat around at the end of a musician's career? They've been our entertainment the whole entire time. How do we put something together for them to make sure that they are set for life beyond their music career. Yeah, which is why it's so great that Home is helping Austin's older musicians with their housing issues. But, like, housing prices are a big deal for everyone in Austin now. I've got guys in my band, and they're not old, and one's living in Lockhart, and one's living in Luling, and uh, and one's living in New Orleans, for for goodness sake. So that's made... uh, playing music in, uh, in Austin and, live, and trying to live here a challenge. We know the holidays are coming up. And if you're celebrating them, we hope that they are full of all the rest and joy you need. And if you're not celebrating, well, we still hope you get lots of rest and lots of joy. We're taking a little rest ourselves. So our next episode is going to be a bonus episode. You'll hear the full conversation between Miles, musician Gina Chavez, and music manager Joe Greenwald from the ACL bonus track stage way back in October. And in the episode after that, we'll be talking about what people and organizations are doing to help Austin's music scene navigate this housing crisis. Pause Play is a production of KUT and KUTX Studios. It is reported, produced, and hosted by me, Miles Bloxon. And me, Elizabeth McQueen. Our executive producer is Matt Riley. Jake Perlman and Matt Largy helped with editing and audio production. Stephanie Federico is our digital editor. And Michael Manassi is our multimedia editor. Special thanks to Todd Callahan and Peter Babb for their technical support and guidance. Graphics provided by David Freed. And original music for this episode was created by the talented Jerron Marshall. We're tracing the decisions that gave us the housing situation we have in Austin today. In Growth Machine, how Austin engineered its housing market. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.